0: Devin's on vacation, we uh, thank God for James, who is uh, sharing with us and the gift of music with us uh, this morning. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Ruth, a mini-series that lasts about five weeks. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the eighth book in the Old Testament. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And then you have Joshua and Judges, and then you land in Ruth. And just like in the New Testament, some of those little, little books, if you turn too fast, you miss it and you say, who took out that book in my Bible? Um, so anyway, eighth book, uh, look at that and uh, we'll be uh, turning to that in, in just a second. Um, this morning, on the time we have, uh, I, I've created a, um, a different way of looking at the book of Ruth in terms of portraying particularly where we are at now in, 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 the, in the story. Now, Ruth is basically, as I've shared with you in the past, a, uh, a chick flick. It is a story about a, a lady and, uh, uh, who is going through life and all the challenges within it. Uh, just like the book of Esther, it's uh, uniquely in, um, presented to us in that way, where there are, there are two books uh, with a, the name of a woman um, that uh, bears its contents. And, and Ruth is a story in which we see God working the lives of people. Um, I was doing some research this past week, uh, whether you look at this story as a romance story and think in terms of maybe a a Hallmark movie, uh, you know, on a channel, or whether you look at it as a romance novel. I said, well, you know, I'm kind of curious about romance novels, and so I I internet it, it, I I checked some things out by way of internet, and Wikipedia is not exactly the most reliable um, resource, but it was interesting. I, I thought for some reason that romance novels had a long, long history Well, at least in terms of how they define romance novels, it really has only been in existence um, 17th, 18th century uh, as they looked at it. And in the United States, it really has only been really super popular until the 1970s, which kind of surprised me. I didn't read it in total depth. But they said this, which is the one thing I wanted to share with you. They said now, as of the 2000s, that if you were to look at all the paperback novels written, 55% of them are romance novels. And so looking back, there's always been love stories, and I share with you, Benjamin Franklin said the book of Ruth is the greatest love story he had ever written, ever read, is, is this is God's portrayal, not only of a relationship between a boy and a girl, but between God and his people. So eventually what we're going to do in this message is really look at boy meets girl and God meets people. And if you have your outline this morning, this will kind of help you follow along as we look at it. Basically there, are four, no, basically, there are four chapters in this book. The first chapter, and if you remember, we've, we've defined this book uh, or entitled this book, Surprise by God. And surprised by God simply means this. We all have expectations. And sometimes those expectations are met and sometimes they're not met. Or if they're met, they're met in a way we appreciate or met in a way we don't appreciate. And if we think about surprises, there are only two types of surprises. There are good surprises and then there are bad surprise. This story begins on a sobering note. It's a bad story. Now, what's the worst story that we could think of in terms of our our experience? It's when death happens. And on Memorial Day, there's no greater way to portray that. And so as we think about this morning, the first chapter began with a bad surprise. And the bad surprise was this family that we're talking about throughout this story, where Ruth becomes the heroine, is that Death had happened to her, her family, her nuclear family, in terms of what she married into, and loved ones died. But then the story turns, and now a good story happens. And a good story happened, or a good surprise happens, because a, a particularly good thing does happen to them. Their physical needs are met. And as you think about it, as we go through life, in the midst of all the things we pursue, would like, or dream about, in the midst of that journey, we've got to make sure there's food on the table. And so Naomi and Ruth get back to the homeland. They get back to Israel and to Bethlehem. And, and God provides in providential ways to provide for their physical needs. But if we think about a bad surprise, a good surprise, then there's a better surprise. You know, once our physical needs are met, we, we long for something more, don't we? We're not usually satisfied simply because we have things on the table. What, what we really want in life is, is that we want um, to really know that we are loved and we have someone to love. And so the better surprise, particularly for Ruth, was uh, she finds someone that loves her and she loves him. In fact, we're going to see in this chapter a marriage proposal. But what I want to understand again is, we think about the book of Ruth, there's, there's God's story and there's our story. In many ways, that kind of mirrors what this weekend is all about, Memorial Day. You have our story and the stories of those who have fought in wars and all that they were willing to give up for themselves. But... The bigger story is that they were able to to fight for our freedoms. And as we think about Ruth and her relationship with Naomi and then later on with Boaz, and it's it's a marvelous story, but in the midst of that, it speaks to a much greater story, what God is doing in heaven that will be placed here on earth. And so as we think about God's story and our story, we need to understand this, that God plans and we participate. And hopefully you understand that as you go through life, nothing really happens completely by accident that god either directly or indirectly god filters what comes into our our experience and we feel good about that when it's good and we feel bad about that when it's do i need to start all over okay we feel good about it when it's good and we feel bad about it when it's bad okay so as, as we wrestle with that we need to understand that god plans and we participate god directs and we make decisions but in the midst of that, to somehow understand, well, how, how can I, how can I simply think about life? Uh, I, I, I made this statement you your outline this morning. As we think about it, it, it really is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's all about God. And you remember uh, in, in Luke chapter twenty-four, and we're not going to turn to the passage. I'll kind of just share with you about it. Is that Jesus, as he was here for thirty-three years and lived the the sinless, perfect life, and he came here to, to save that which is lost. As he, as he portrayed what was going to happen, then it, then it happened. Uh, they, they couldn't even imagine those things that Jesus said were, were going to take place. In fact, many times when you talk about his in, uh, upcoming death, they would argue with them, This is not going to happen. We'll prevent it. That Jesus was put on the cross. He was scourged, and, and he was tortured, and, and then he was put on the cross. And, and he said, but this is not going to be the final chapter. When I die three days later... As I've been placed in the tomb, that tomb will eventually be what? Empty. Then it all happened exactly as he said it would happen, and they were still surprised. Now this was a good surprise, but even good surprises are so surprising sometimes. It's if it's too good to be true, it can't be can't be true. And so he he takes this walk with a couple couple men on, on what's called the road of Emmaus. And if you've been to Israel, you can see this road to Emmaus. It's a little a little road right outside of Jerusalem, and he takes a walk, which is always interesting to me about, about God and particularly about Jesus. In the midst of a pretty high-intensive uh, you know, agenda, pretty, pretty quite, a, quite a few things on his to-do list, he often had time not only for the crowds but for the individual. And we need to always remind ourselves that, about God, is that God, that God, in the midst of the billions of people on this planet, he, he knows everything intimately about you. If I had just come back from the dead, let me tell you what would happen is I would have filled the stadium. All right, let's get everybody here. All right, and we would just, i would just announce it to everybody, and we'd have it all, all just kind of that way. But he took time to take a walk with two people that weren't in part of the twelve. And as they were kind of confused, they said, you know, the women said he was gone and that they saw him, but the men came back and the tomb was empty, but they didn't see him, and we—we we can't figure this out. And so Jesus rebukes them. Are you so slow of heart that you cannot believe what you should believe? Haven't you read this book? This book, it's filled with Jesus. And he said, then he he spent time from from Moses, which is basically the first five books, to to the prophets. He he just told them, look, this is where Jesus was portrayed. So, in the midst of, of our story, and we all have stories, we all. When we leave this place, there's things we've got to do. There's things that we've got to go, be at. Uh, there are responsibilities we have, and we're, we're filled with challenges and decisions and being involved in what happens in life is, is that there's a bigger story going on. And, and really, it all revolves around Jesus and, and us. So this is what Ruth is all about. It's about understanding there's a story, but then there's God's story. Our story, God's story. But in the midst of that, it's really all about Jesus. So what I want to do to you in the minutes we have left is I want to portray our story in a familiar romance novel type of approach and then God's story. And maybe a not too familiar romance story. Dr. McGee says this is a story about God's romantic love for His people, for His bride, the bride of Christ. All right, what usually happens in a, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a 10-cent romance novel or a little bit more expensive nowadays. But, you know, what happens in a typical romance novel? Boy meets girl. And we talked about that briefly before. In, in Ruth chapter 2, and we won't look at the verses, all the verses, until we get to Ruth chapter 3. But in, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 5, boy meets girl, and, and the boy asks about her. And I think we talked about that. You know, in junior high and high school, the boy saw somebody she liked, somebody he liked, you know, and he said, Who is that? Who is that? Who is that gal? Who is that girl? Who is that, in, in King James' language, who is that young woman? He's too embarrassed to talk to her herself, so he said, well, can you tell me a little bit about her? And so his servants uh, uh, tell him about who she is. And, and really, what he needs to know, he needs to know information about her. Is she, is she somebody I might be interested in? I like how she looks, but what's on the inside? You know, that's how boy meets girl, usually by somebody else helping her, helping him understand who she is. God also meets us. But God doesn't need any help for for mothers telling us about ourselves to Him. Because God knows everything about us. Isn't that true? Psalm 139, He says, You know, I'm amazed you know every, every thought from afar. There is nothing that's hidden from you. You know me intimately from the inside out. Now what's shocking about that is if someone is telling a story about us, we, we hope they tell a good story about us, right? Put me in my, put me in my best light so the person that wants to meet me uh, wants to meet me. You know, when, when God met us, He knew every, everything that was wrong with us. And He still wanted to meet us. Isn't that an amazing God? I mean, I can understand God loving me if He didn't know me. <laughs> but loving me even though He does know me. Boy meets girl, God meets us. Secondly, boy talks to girl. And when he talks to her, he speaks to what is important to her. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Ruth's most important subject was i, I, I got to have food to put on the table. And hopefully, when I get that food on the table, it's, it's a safe environment where I'm not worried about the men of the community. You know, harassing me and maybe taking advantage of me. And and Boaz, when he first initiates the conversation, says, I I want you to come to our field or my field, and I will provide and protect. If you know men, if we want to uh, capture the heart of a of a woman, you know, not to speak about what's important to you, which is ESPN, sports, and bacon. All right, you know what? Not you know, think about what's important to her. All right. And so that's what Boaz does to Ruth, and it just it just impresses her. Well, that's our story. How about God's story? You know God speaks to us, but when God speaks to us, he also speaks to us about what is important to us. We could illustrate this in so many different ways. Now how does God speak to us in Hebrews chapter one verses one and two it says this that God in various times and in various ways in the old in the past has spoke to us through the prophets. You guys are turning the page before I tell you to turn the page. You always do that every week. I don't know where you get that. I'm still talking on this point. All right. God, uh, you're, messing, you're messing with my mind here. All right. God speaks to us, um, not only in various ways and various times through his prophets, but now he speaks to us through his son. But when he speaks to us, he speaks to us in such a way and that which is important to us. Remember the story of... Uh, I don't have any outline, but in, in John chapter 4, where Jesus speaks to the woman at, at the well. And, and, and just the fact that he spoke to her just amazed her. Because of her, and that's why she was there at a certain time. Because he knew that, she knew that he knew, you know, her, her lifestyle. Why would, a, why would a Jewish rabbi speak to me? I'm kind of unworthy. But not only that, because of the race card. I, I'm a different race from yours i'm a samaritan woman but he spoke to her about what was most important which is i can give you water in which if you'll drink you'll never what thirst again but not only to the irreligious folk the woman at the samaritan at the samaritan well or the woman at the at the well but he also said it to his disciples remember when he fed the five thousand in in john chapter 6 and Man, they were all excited because who who turns down a free lunch? But then he says to them, he says, I I want you to understand. He says, "Uh, if you're really going to follow me, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Well, that drove them away. Jesus could gather crowd, and he could scatter a crowd faster than anybody I know. But then what he said to them, he said uh, to his disciples, are you going to take off too? And Peter says, well, where would we go? Because you have the words of life, eternal life. So, boy meets girl, boy talks to girl. God meets us and God speaks to us, and He speaks to us about what is most important to us about life. Thirdly, now you can turn the page. All right. Girl talks to boy. Now, now the response is back. And, and, and in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, Ruth is amazed that Boaz, a significant person within that community, would look at her and be interested in her and really on human relationships. that that is crucial isn't it you can't have a relationship with someone who's not interested in having a relationship and so as boaz meets her and talks with her and talks to her about what's important then she really realizes that he's important she's important to him is that true about god as well what's god's story We can talk to God and we can realize God is interested in us. John 14, 24, it says, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask now and you will receive. God invites us to talk to Him. That's what we call prayer. That that privilege that we have to speak to Almighty God and He's going to listen to us. Of course, the question for us is how, how much do we take advantage of that opportunity throughout the day or in, in very specific times where we, we just spend time talking to Him? God speaks to us, but we have the privilege of speaking to Him. And the reason because He's interested in us. But God demonstrated, Romans 5, in His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, we can say, I'm unworthy to talk with God, but God says, no, because I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. Boy meets girl, boy talks to girl, girl talks to boy. God meets us, God talks to us, he invites us to speak with him. And then we find the characteristics of these people, particularly focusing on Boaz for a moment. We, we discover that the boy is kind. In Revelation, in Revelation, Ruth chapter 2, verses 20 through 20, Ruth chapter 2, verse 13. Ruth is amazed. How, how, how have I found favor in your eyes? You're being so kind to me. And really, that, that's what captures the hearts of another, isn't it? It's our kindness that will draw people to ourselves. That's true also for God. God is also kind. In, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, in, in the New King James, it actually uses the word good, but in, in some translations, it'll actually use the word kind. Uh, New American Standard puts it that way. But in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, and do you think this, O oh man, um, you who judge those practicing such things, that doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness, and many translations will say kindness, it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? You see, as we think about the guilt of our sin, or that which separates us in relationship to Him, Unless we were convinced that because of God's kindness or goodness, He'd be willing to forgive us of our sin, why would we rush to Him? See, see, God draws us to Himself because we know that He is kind and willing to extend to us what we don't deserve. Just as Ruth was looking at Boaz, I, I can't understand why you would look upon me. Same idea with goodness. It says of, in Ruth chapter 2, verses 20-22 that Naomi, she comes back from encountering Boaz and receives all that she receives. She says, this is a good thing that has happened. And when we think of God's character, whether he's kind or when to use the word good, it's, it's because of God's goodness that we're able to respond unto him. And he truly is the only one that's good. In, Luke, in Matthew chapter 19, it speaks about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And, and he said, good rabbi, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? In the reality, there was nothing good in this young, young ruler. Like there's nothing good in us to merit getting to, to, to heaven in eternal life. And really, there's only one that is good, as Jesus says, God Himself. But it's because of God's goodness that we can, we can pass through all that which is not good in our own life. But then this story stops. And if you're familiar at all with Okaroo, it's it's kind of an interesting a journey in seeing this story between a boy and a girl and a God and his people. The first chapter lasts about 10 years. And I won't retell chapter 1, but that's where all those bad things happen. Husband dies, two sons die, have to figure out what's going to happen next. And within that period of time, they go back to the homeland. And, and then the good things begin to happen as is, is their physical needs are met in chapter 2. And really chapter 2 all that happens in chapter 2 happens in one day. Now, if you know in the romance now, boy meets girl and girl meets boy, and, and there's chemistry involved in there, you say, well, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen now. But six or seven weeks happen, and there's nothing. It's like, well, if he really cared for me, he's really into me as, I, as much as I thought he would, he'd give me a what? He'd give me a call. So it didn't happen. I thought, I thought he was interested. He's not, he's not contacting me. He's forgotten about me. Now, on the human level, sometimes that happens because men are cowards, all right? They don't want to make that phone call because they're afraid that they might get rejection, all right? Um, but in this particular setting, I think there's a, there's a similar theme going on here because at this point, Boaz, he's much older than Ruth. And even though he saw that there was a relationship building there, he's saying, well, I, why would, why would she, I'm not sure she's really that into me. Or put it another way, I'm not sure she really wants to make that kind of commitment. And so we pick up the story, and when you can't figure out what to do, just ask your mother or mother-in-law. And this is what happens, all right? Ruth chapter 3. And I'm going to make some very simple observations as we, as we look at not only that which is bad and that which is good, but that which is even better. Ruth chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Uh, Maybe I need to uh, arrange something to happen so you and Boaz get together. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? And we'll talk about what it means for Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer next week. In in that, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garments, and go down to the threshing floor, and do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." Put on your best stuff. Uh, I want you really to doll up for this event. Verse 4. Then he shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go to uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And Ruth responds and says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, all that you say to me, I will do. And you're thinking, what in the world is this talking about? This is about the strangest thing I could ever imagine. Uh, we have our, interesting, not related to this series here, but our junior hires are going through a series which is uh, strange and gross stories in the Old Testament. You know, this is like one of those strange and gross stories in the Old Testament. That's, that's how you entitle messages in the junior high ministry, all right? Well, this is one of those things you go, what in the world? Naomi is saying to Ruth, I want you to know, I want you to communicate to, uh, to Boaz, you're serious about this relationship and that you are really committed. In fact, that's kind of the fill-in-the-blank. Boaz, Boaz wants, wants commitment. He, he wants to know that, that she really wants this relationship. And, and, and Naomi says, I want you to communicate this, but in a very creative way. I want you to go, after he's partied the the, the the end of the harvest, and he lays down and sleeps, I want you to go there, and I want you to uncover his feet, and I want you to lay down. And you go, oh my word, what are you talking about? Well, without trying to go into a lot of historical background from this, for whatever reason, if you were to do this you, as a woman to a man, you'd be communicating that you are really, really interested in Him. That you, 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 are, you, are, you are conveying to Him that you're at His disposal. You're, you're making that step and saying, uh-uh, I'm in for a committed relationship. To go to someone's feet at the middle of the night, uncover the blanket, and lay down at that feet, you're making a step. Now, for those of you who are picturing things, you are go, "Oh my word!" Okay, we'll, we'll have counseling afterwards, right? But this is this is what he's this is what Naomi is telling her, and it was it was not. It, there's some background to this, but but this is a step of commitment. This is no casual hint. I might be interested. This is saying I am committed to going a step further in this relationship. Can I say that, that that's our story? Eventually we have to let people know if we're really committed to whatever we're in. How about God's story? Does God want us at that point where relationship is beginning to be understood, that we make a commitment? You know, in and we've used this passage many times, but in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone, if anyone comes after me, not, not just the select few, not just the, the, the true, committed apostles, but if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Many have said that the marriage relationship is, it can be one of the best pictures of what it means to be committed to Jesus Christ. Because in a marriage relationship, usually what happens, uh, particularly in our culture, people get to know each other, boy meets girl, girl meets boy, and, and sparks fly, and it comes a point, well, I'm kind of interested, you're kind of interested, oh, I, I think I can spend my life with you, I can spend your, you can spend your life with me, and eventually comes a point where there's a crisis decision. The crisis decision, are we going to be all in? Or are we going come to that point where publicly we will say, I do, to the other person and see this is this is what this is what ruth begins to communicate to boaz in fact not only begins but does in just a few moments and the same thing with jesus there's a lot of people who hear a lot about jesus get close to jesus but never make that all-in commitment there, there is no easy believism in christianity that true faith is a true commitment saying i I'm all in. The story continues. Boy wants commitment. God wants commitment. Secondly, boy has to be trusted. God has to be trusted. Look at um, the next verses. So she went down to the threshing floor and did it according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after boy has had eaten and drunk and the heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, it happened at midnight that the man was startled. I guess so. And he turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. Wait a minute. I didn't go to bed this way. What happened in the middle of the night? And, And it was probably pretty dark. And he said, Who are you? And she answers, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Now, the whole close relative part we're going to look at next week. But she basically says, okay, she knew what she had done. She, wasn't, she was already aware that she had made that step to show, I'm, I'm fully committed to you. I, I want this relationship to go to its ultimate place. Boaz had not seen this until in the middle of the night, and he was totally surprised by it. Now, either he was going to be convinced he was surprised by that which is good, or he thought this is going to be surprised by that which is bad. But he responds later on, and you'll realize he thinks this is awesome, all right? But what I want to focus here at this point, what a tremendous step there was for Ruth to communicate her commitment in this way. Because when you commit yourself to something or someone, you better be convinced that what you're committing yourself to is worthy of your commitment, but not only your commitment, but your trust. Because at that point, Boaz could have done anything he wanted to her. But she was convinced when she prevailed upon him that he could be trusted to do that which was honorable. Hopefully I'm going to make a connection here. You know, when a person comes to that point where they want to decide whether they want to embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior, they need to realize it's a commitment. But they also need to realize that that Jesus is worthy of our trust. I remember particularly when I was in a campus ministry that, I, and we were sharing Christ on a one-on-one relationship with, with people every day. Okay, And uh, some people we knew and some people we didn't know. And, and often after presenting the gospel and, and people begin to understand the message and they come to that point where they're just this close, right on the fence, taking that step over to, to become a follower of Christ and they were hesitating. And eventually, I, 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 was, I couldn't quite figure this out, so I began asking people questions. I said, why is, it, why is it you don't make a commitment to Christ? And, and uh, some did and some did not, but the ones who didn't, and they said, well, I'm just not sure yet. Well, why aren't you sure? I said, I don't know. And so then I'd ask them, I said, you understand what the commitment is? He go, yeah, I understand what the commitment is. I said, well, let me ask you this. Let's say I could prove to you that Jesus is who he claimed to be that He truly is the Son of God, and He died on the cross for you, and He rose again, and, and he, is, he is worthy to you put your, your trust in. W- would you do it? I mean, I can just prove to you that He was the Son of God. And they would say no. And I said, well, why would you say no? Because I don't want Him telling me what to do. You know, a tremendously honest response. Because there comes a point in our life when we really embrace Christ, and this is true whether it's at the first step or as we go on the journey. We express our commitment to Him by trusting in Him to direct our path when we want to go down another path. That we believe that His way is always the best way, whether it's always the easy way or not, doesn't matter. And so when Ruth came to Boaz, she was trusting that he would do that which is right for her. And when we obey God, in areas maybe we don't want to obey God, then that shows to him that we trust that he knows better than we do. And so when she got the response that she expected, that he was surprised at her presence, he trusted that he would do the right thing. And at times when we're surprised by what God wants us to do, or to be obedient to a principle in God's word, we don't want to be obedient, then. When we obey, even though we don't feel like it, that's trust. Thirdly and finally, as we think of God's story and our story, boy meets girl, God meets people, we need to be well aware that the person that we're putting our trust in is is truly the one that has all the qualifications to be trusted in. Or to put it simply, boy must be true and God must be true. Uh, Let's just read the the rest of this chapter, verse ten. Then then he said, "Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go for after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear; I will do for you all that you request." In other words, Boaz was able to accomplish that which she desired, because you can put your trust in someone that that can't come through. Boaz could come true for Ruth. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it's true that I am a close relative, which we'll, we'll examine next week. This was critical in terms of this relationship. However, there is a relative closer than I. Say this night and in the morning, it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, let Uh, lie down until morning so this relationship for it to happen had to be in such a way that that boaz could qualify as her life partner so she lay at the feet until morning and she rose before one could recognize another then he said do not let it be known that the woman came to the floor also he said bring that shawl that is on you and hold it and when she held it he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her and then she went into the city When when she came to the mother in law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? And then she said, After all the man had done to her, and she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me for, he said to me, Do not go empty handed to your mother in law. This is basically 30 pounds of of food for for them. Verse 18 Then he said, Sit still. Then she said, Then sit still, my daughter. This is Naomi to Ruth. Until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he is a concluded the matter this day. Now, basically what happened is Ruth goes to Boaz, shows her her willingness to make a commitment, demonstrates that she trusts him. Now Boaz must qualify to be the provider for her and to be a a person that she can um, join together in, in marriage. He had not qualified completely up to that point. Now, when you think about Jesus, when Jesus came, Jesus was fully God in who he was, but he had not finished the work that he was sent to do until he went to the what? To the cross. And and so what you see here is the the mirror of the story of Boaz and Jesus. Boaz qualified as a relative, but he had not accomplished the task, which was to make sure that, that he was the one for her. When Jesus came, he was fully God, but until he went to the cross, he had not paid the price. So Boaz needed to be the true one. And of course, Jesus needs to be the true one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And when Jesus was here, he wanted to convince them that it wasn't just wishful thinking that he was the Messiah. In John 20, he says that there are many signs that Jesus did and if we wrote them all down, there wouldn't be a book big enough to write them in. But he did these things in order to convince you that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then after he rose from the dead, he said that he gave 40 days of infallible proofs that he was the one who he claimed to be. So when we think about this romance story, our story and God's story, it, it, it comes to that point where we realize, particularly as we think about God's story, that, that he is the one that is worthy of our full commitment. He is the one that can be completely trusted in that His way is best and that we can be convinced. This is not just wishful thinking. This truly is the one who came for us. The challenge for us in the so what is that, that we are called to, to live in the better one. And then we like participate in God's program Then we can do that which is better for someone else. Last week I challenged you to, to be to be an agent of God by doing something in a surprising way that's good for somebody else. And hopefully you had an opportunity to do that. But you can even do that in a better way, by being a testimony for Christ, to speak to someone about your faith, to point them to the one who is the better one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as, as you portrayed your story to us, you you put it in shoe leather, that you did it in the lives of people. But as life was going on in the lives of people, just like life goes on in us, there's a bigger story behind the scenes. And, and you're pointing everybody to, to really recognize your handiwork in life. And Father, I just really pray for each one here that as we, as we hear about things in your word, that it, it just drives us to Jesus. And, fathers, being one here this morning that doesn't know you, might they, they come to that point to, to say, Jesus, I commit myself to you. I surrender. I, I trust in you that you are the great provider. And, Father, I believe that your son is truly the one you had promised to send. And, Father, I would pray also that this week might be a week in which your church is unleashed to surprise people with what is good by sharing our faith with others. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we uh, sing this morning. And if uh, you'd like to find out more about who Christ is or just pray with another about what's going on in your life, we invite you to come.